Hello and welcome to episode 27 of the Epic Classroom Podcast. My name is Trevor Muir and I've been a middle and high school teacher as well as a teacher of future and current teachers and I love a good story. And I love to explore ways to help students live out great stories and for educators to thrive in their own. And that's what we talk about in this podcast. Whatever you teach or however you serve in schools, how can you lead a more impactful, dynamic, meaningful, and epic classroom? Well, friends, it's good to be back on the podcast. This is the first one of the year 2023. Uh, I hope that you had a great holiday. I hope you found some time to rest, maybe reflect a little bit, but really just to unplug from all that is teaching and working in schools so that you could be filled up and go back in and do your work well the rest of this school year. I know I had a great break. Uh, my family and I traveled down to my mom's farm in Tennessee where it was very, very cold. I live in Michigan where it's almost always cold, it seems. And so, you know, usually when we plan trips down to Tennessee for the holidays, it's usually like a respite from the cold. But then we got there and on day one of being in Tennessee on Christmas, uh, two days before Christmas, it was Negative five degrees. Negative five degrees. It was awful it, how, how unbelievably bitter cold it was. And I know we weren't alone in that. Lots and lots of people in America experienced some extreme cold. But it was actually pretty good, too, though, because my mom lives on this farm and she has this big lake that froze solid, which doesn't usually happen where she lives. It happens up in Michigan, but her lake, her little pond just froze completely solid in a night. And we just spent so much time running around and sliding and playing with the kids and and doing nothing that involves work, nothing to do with planning. I, I mean, I, I got to tell you, I love love all of the work I get to do and I love getting to serve and connect with teachers and education and thinking and writing and teaching and doing all of these things. I love it. But I got to be honest, over the break, I did none of that. I just played and also stayed inside because it was really cold. I did a little bit of both, but it was really restful. And it, and it was a great way to start this, this new year where I feel refreshed. I feel like I've got more creativity bubbling up. I'm, I'm excited to dive into some new projects and just see what the new year brings. But that really was birthed out of this couple week period of just really doing very little other than having fun and having good quality time with the people I love. And uh, so I just wanted to start by saying that's what my break has been like. And uh, I was privileged and blessed to get to have the space to do that. Um, and I'm hoping that you did it as well. I'm hoping that you at least had some time to just relax a bit because we have to do that. And I think if you are an educator, you kind of have to discipline that time into our own lives. That doesn't always come naturally. There are so many demands and, and responsibilities and things you have to do every single day, many hours of the day, if you're an educator. Um, and so if you want time to relax, if you want time to unplug, it's like you have to plan it. And that's what's nice about holidays is everything's shut down, right? Like nobody's getting in touch with me. There's, there's not really any work to do. And so it's almost like the, the nature of holidays disciplined it for me. And that was great. Um, but then the holidays are over, right? Like now comes the next few months of very little holidays and very few breaks. And it's kind of back to work. 
and yet I still need more of that space to un to unplug and recharge and get new births of creativity and energy. And and so one of the things I really want to get better at this year is disciplining myself to to structure time to do exactly what I did over the holidays. I want more of that time to refresh. And that might mean scrapping some other things that I normally do. That might mean cutting down some of the work that I do. That might mean extending deadlines and the things that I'm working on so that I can fit in more of the space to relax and recharge. And so I hope you can do the same. That's not what the rest of this podcast is about, but that was kind of what I was thinking about as I hit record. What this podcast about is about is the ideal graduate. So let me ask you a question. And this is a question that I often ask teachers all the time when I'm doing a workshop on project-based learning or on soft skills or, or um, really when, when we have conversations with educators about what do we want school to look like, I always ask the question, what is the ideal graduate? So like when kids leave their 13 years of formal education, what do we want students to be like after all of that? And really what this does is it raises a bigger question. What do we want people to be like? Because all of the doctors in the world and engineers and politicians and teammates and neighbors and mailmen and police officers and teachers and citizens, we all go through school. So a lot of our formation, I mean, who we are and what we're capable of, that is largely developed in school, obviously at home, obviously that, that happens too at home, but a lot of the reinforcement and a lot of the teaching of what we want in people happens in that 13 years of obligatory education. And so that's why I think this question, what is the ideal graduate, is a really big deal. You know, when I ask this question to elementary teachers, I think it's just as important to ask them what is the ideal graduate as when I ask it to senior high school teachers, because wherever you are in that 13 year journey of a K-12 student, you're all helping form students so that they're ready for whatever's next after that experience, right? Like the work of a third grade teacher is absolutely serving and adding to the, to, to the experience of a 12th grade teacher. And, to, and the students progress as they go along education until they leave their formal education and they're out of, they're, it's out of our hands now. And so who they are and what they can do at the end of high school is, is largely indicative of what they'll be able to do moving forward after that. This is a big deal, right? Like what the ideal graduate is, is what people are like. We all go through some form of education, whether it's the 1 million who homeschool, the 9 million who uh, go to private schools, or the 46 million, something like that, who go to public schools. Everybody passes through the education system. And so everyone are developing the traits of either the ideal graduate, you know, the, the, the portrait of a graduate that we want to see, or are not getting all of the things that they need to be successful in the society that we live in, in our communities, in our workplaces, in our politic. So here's the question. Is the ideal graduate someone who can factor a polynomial or name every part of an atom or remember every single date of every war in history? Uh, or is that what isn't 
what came to mind when I asked that question? You know, that, were you not thinking, oh, no, uh, somebody who's just mastered trigonometry, that is the ideal graduate. Is that not what came to mind? You know, maybe instead you think the ideal graduate is someone who can problem solve and critically think. You know, I mean, the world has got a lot of big problems. And so if you're going to thrive in it, you can't be someone who shies away from challenges. You've got to be gritty. You've got to be a resilient problem solver. Or maybe the word communicator came to mind because you know that communication skills are essential. You know that, that it's important to be able to speak to large groups, but you also have to know how to speak to smaller teams and you have to know how to talk when you're talking to your superiors. You have to need, need to know how to talk to the people who are maybe are underneath you in the chain of command. You got to know how to talk to the cashier at the grocery store, right? The, the ideal graduate needs to know how to communicate. But they also need to know how to collaborate and work well with others. And sometimes that means you're working with people who are not your friends. Sometimes that means you're working with others who share different beliefs than you and, and different ideals and personalities that can sometimes clash. And sometimes you work with people who you don't like. And so the ideal graduate needs to know how to do that. The, the ideal graduate is a collaborator. No, but they also need to be creative and passionate and self-aware. We want them to be confident, we want them to be assured in what they're capable of, but we also want them to be humble and understand what some of their limitations are, and they know how to reach out and, and advocate for themselves when they need help. You know, they should be independent and self-motivated, but also know how to work in community and be generous. We also want them to be smart and knowledgeable, but is that the only thing we're looking for? You know, we, we obviously want our students to be smart and intelligent we want and that's where i think learning how to factor a polynomial or the dates in history that those still have value we still want students who can handle complex information that is actually highly desired still in the 21st century workforce are, are, are people who are smart and so that's still important to teach those things but i think the portrait of a graduate is much bigger than that and i think we would all agree so this is the fundamental question. If these are some of the top characteristics that we want in our communities, in our society, is school ultimately about helping students form these traits and, and, and develop these skills? Because these characteristics are like muscles. The more you strengthen them, the stronger that they become. And the less we work them out, the less we practice collaboration and communication and critical thinking and problem solving and independence and autonomy and, and, and cooperation, when the more we practice these traits of the ideal graduate, the stronger they become. The less we work them out, the more that they atrophy. And so when we see young people struggling in the workforce or, or all that data that shows that the top reason people are fired from their jobs is because they don't have these traits. They don't have what we call soft skills. I think we have to ask if these skills are being emphasized enough. When standardized tests are primarily focused on one piece of the ideal graduate or college admissions just look at GPA and test scores,
It has this ripple effect on the rest of the K-12 experience. And yet the K-12 experience is supposed to be about helping students grow into people ready to take on the world and thrive in their workplaces and be pillars in their communities and know how to solve problems and know how to work hard and have passion and empathy and, and this desire to never stop learning, right? That's what we want in the ideal graduate. And yet so much of the system doesn't seem to emphasize these things that we all can stack hands on and agree, and agree this is what we we want people to be like. You know, every time I ask this question to groups of educators, and I've asked it to many non-educators in groups when I go and speak places, nobody ever jumps out first and says the polynomial thing, or even is really, really smart. That, that usually shows up a little bit further down the list, but it's all of these other traits first. These are the ones that we collectively value, and yet it seems way too often the education system doesn't seem to value them the same, even though the education system is us. It's just a collection of people. And so I think one of the things we have to do is stack our hands on this and say, all right, what do we value most in the people who live among us? Right. And, and so once we collectively decide what that looks like and you'd be surprised, I travel all over the place asking this question and the responses are almost always the same. Very rarely does somebody say something that that hasn't been so said somewhere else. When I went to Alaska, everybody agreed that collaboration is a very important trait in a graduate. When I went to Florida, everybody agreed collaboration was important. When I went to New York State this uh, a few months ago, everybody said said that students need to be gritty and, and be able to overcome and, and have perseverance. I heard the same response when I went to Columbia, South America two summers ago. People said that we need gritty, resilient people, right? Like these are shared um, ideals that we all have. And so therefore we need to create systems that prepare students to actually have these traits that, that are intentional about developing them in young people. You know, the education experience needs to be designed with the end in mind. And when it's not, when we're not thinking about who we want students to develop into or to continue to develop into, when it's not that, we have a problem. And, and like I said, part of the solution is systemic. You know, until we change the role, standardized testing and college admissions and teacher evaluations and state reporting, until we change the role that they play in schools, it can be really hard to move the needle. And the truth is that's out of a lot of educators' hands. You know, we, we don't get to control what's in the state standards. We don't necessarily get to say, hey, this is how colleges are going to admit students into their schools. And, and that, that's out of our hands. We have the task of preparing our students to be successful. And those are the measures of success at this point. And. And I'm not somebody that says, oh, we need to abolish testing or we need to abolish uh, standardized uh, admissions processes. No, I, I wouldn't say that because you know what? Like I said a moment ago, we still want to make sure students are proficient in all of those content areas as well. Those are still important. You know, I was looking at survey data that says that, uh, you know, they, they surveyed 3,000 employers asking what are the top traits of, of new employees right now. And the number five thing listed was the ability to obtain and process information, right? Like that, that's from the National Board of Colleges and Employers. Number five is the ability to obtain and process information, which is 
the system seems to be very strongly about is being able to obtain information and then demonstrate your understanding of it, right? That's what the SAT, the ACT, AP exams, college admissions largely are about. And for some part, that's okay, right? Like it's number five on the list, but it is number five on the list. Number one is collaboration. Number two is critical thinking. Number three is communication. Number four is problem solving. Number five is this obtaining of information. And so how do we create systems? How do we create end goals that are really about developing all of that, a more holistic approach to educating and working with students? And so I think one of the things we have to do as a society and collectively is keep pushing for changes. And, and progress is often a slow march forward. But I think we're starting to see some of it. We're seeing it in the next generation science standards. We're seeing it in some of, you know, the math problems. My son is in third grade and he comes home and, and you know, some of his math is really starting to look more realistic about how I use it in my own adult life. He's starting to learn some of those skills and processes now. So point being, I think we are seeing some of these changes, but we've got to keep pushing them more and more. And that's using our voices. That, that's trying to advocate. That's, that's people with platforms and audiences to continue to push as well. That's voting for school board members and elected officials and politicians who, who believe that that school needs to be more holistic, that we need to look at the portrait of the graduate and then design learning experiences that, that help them become that. That, that. That's pushing for change. But then also, I think we have to work with the system that we have now. It's not enough to just say, we gotta just wait until it all gets fixed. I think it's instead saying, all right, how can I give my students opportunities to learn and grow and develop into the ideal graduate within the framework that currently exists in my classroom? So for instance, I went uh, to a school in Ubley, Michigan um, last year. So if any of my Ubley friends are listening, Hi, friends. Um, I'll see you in later in January. I'm coming back. But anyway, I was in Ubley, and uh, I was working with teachers, and we were talking about project-based learning and how do we design learning experiences that are hands-on and purposeful. And so I met with this one group of teachers, and we were talking about their persuasive writing unit. And one of the things they have to do is uh, have their students, these are elementary students, um, or elementary teachers, uh, how can we teach our students to write persuasively, um, but do it in an authentic and purposeful way. That's really what I was talking about with them. And that's often what I talk about in workshops, is how do we add some purpose and authenticity to the content that you're already going to teach? So the content they chose was persuasive writing, and we just started doing some brainstorming, like what are your students interested in? What are you interested in? I found over and over that when we can find ways to plan experiences that we are passionate about and students are passionate about, those are the kind that work the best. And we landed on this idea of therapy dogs and how cool it would be if there was a, a Labrador or, or a Golden Retriever, some type of dog uh, that was trained to be a therapy dog if they had it in school. So the teacher started geeking out about that and sharing some stories she'd heard about other people who'd done that. And I said, well, wouldn't it be cool if your students could try to persuade their school district to buy them a therapy dog or allow a therapy dog to be in school. And so I asked that question and they just all of a sudden, this group of teachers got all fired up about it. And one of them really took the lead and they started planning it. And we spent the rest of that afternoon kind of just like shaping out what this project could end up looking like. Well, I left, I think this was in May. So I left 
and uh, did not have any interactions with those teachers for a while. And then I went back to Ubley, Michigan in October of this last fall. And as I'm walking into the school, this little black lab or it was a labradoodle puppy comes running up to me and he's got this blue vest on that I, it might have said something like therapy dog or pause dog. I'm not sure. But the dog ran up to me and started wagging its tail. And I'm like, wait, what is this? And the teacher came around the corner and she said, we did it. And I said, did what? Remind me. And she goes, we did the project. My students wrote persuasive speeches. And then we went to a school board meeting where my students dressed up and they read their speeches to the school board. And the school board was persuaded and they allowed us to get a therapy dog. And now this dog is in our school and it's helping neurodivergent students. It's helping students with autism. It's helping students who, who just need a calming uh, presence of the dog. They, it's, it's giving an incentive to all students to earn petting time with the dog and play time with the dog. And, and the students earn that by writing persuasive speeches and presenting them to the school board. And now we have this puppy. And I couldn't believe it. I mean, my, I'm, I'm smiling so big about it right now, just thinking about the teacher and the pride and joy she had for this project. And so, like, they did it. They accomplished something real. And to do that, they had to learn how to collaborate. So students worked in groups. They had to work with other people to plan out their speeches and their presentations. You know, they had to go and communicate and present their speeches. And so we talk about, you know, ideal graduate traits. You know, the, the ability to communicate is, is one of the most important. Every time I ask what's the ideal graduate, people always say, communication very close to the top of that list well students had to do it in a professional setting here and they weren't just doing it because there was a communication grade attached to it or they needed to uh, achieve a certain score on a rubric they were doing it because they wanted to get a therapy dog for their school and they knew that the only way to do it would be to present what they've been working on and so they had to communicate they had to practice empathy right i think that's a trait of an ideal graduate the ability to empathize well, they did it for this. They learned about a problem that there's a bunch of students who could benefit from this dog, and yet we don't have a dog yet. So they empathized, and so they did the hard work of collaborating and communicating in order to achieve that. But you know what else they did? They practiced persuasive writing. They had to proofread and peer edit. They needed to know how to research and gather evidence to support their claims. They were still engaged in the academic side of school. They were still making sure that they were ready for number five on the list of, of what you need to be successful in the 21st century workforce. They were still obtaining and processing information, except now they were doing it simultaneously with collaboration, communication, empathy, critical thinking, you know, developing bravery and courage. This is more holistic. And what happens is, is when students are doing work that's mattering here, like when it's purposeful, when there's this, this element to it that it's not just about you, it's not just about your grade, it's not just about satisfying the common core or getting ready for a test, but it's about something bigger than yourself. And to do that, you're developing all these skills what happens is students learn the content, the academic stuff, at a deeper level. And there's lots of research that shows that as well, that when students are engaged in purposeful work and, and when there's this kinesthetic hands-on component to it, they learn the content deeper. And that's one of the things we want. And, and listen, 
I think we do need to de-emphasize some of the content we teach. Not all of it. Obviously, we want students to have this rich body of knowledge, but I think sometimes we need to de-emphasize just the content and think more about skills and characteristics and traits that we're developing in students. But the fact is, content is still king. That's okay. You know why? Because you can still make sure students develop the traits and characteristics of the ideal graduate while learning the content at a deep level. And it turns out when you work and learn and grow on these ideal graduate traits, you're going to learn the content as well. And so as we keep moving that needle, as we keep pushing the boundaries and trying to, to, to just push for changes that are more holistic and really begin with the end in mind, really aiming towards helping form and shape our students into the graduates that, that we know we want in our society, that we know they're capable of becoming, and we know will help them as individuals find more success in life. As we continue to push for those changes, let's also remember that, there, that, that good stuff can happen within the frameworks we already have. You know, and it's not always perfect, but nothing is. And there are constraints, but creativity usually has constraints. The fact is, is we can make magic happen with anything, um, including working within structures that seem a little rigid. Uh, and, and I think it really comes down to asking, what am I passionate about? What are my students passionate about? What's a problem they can help solve? And how can they develop these traits and skills that will allow them to do that? And then creatively, how can I teach them content at the same time? So anyway, if you would like to learn more about how to do this, how to plan these experiences, there's a lot of different places I could send you to go. One would be uh, epicpbl.com. That's just my website where I keep all of my project-based learning content. So I've got some free videos on there. You can find out more about my online course on there. If you're a school leader and would be interested in me coming in and working with your teachers on PBL, all of that information's on there. So you can go to epicpbl.com. Uh, there's also uh, my book, The epic classroom really goes through this process as well you can check that out or the collaborative classroom is my second book uh, that's all about how do we teach and lead strong collaboration in the classroom um, so you can check that out as well or just go to my website trevormuir.com where i've got lots of videos and resources um, all about this stuff but it's really about uh, finding new ways to make learning into a story to make it epic uh, you know, when I think about that therapy dog story um, and what that teacher did, she introduced them to a problem. She gave them the skills and the space and, and the, the practice and the knowledge that they need in order to solve the problem. And at the end, they solved it. There was a climax to it. And they got a cute little puppy. That is a story. And we don't forget good stories. And uh, your students won't forget them either. So anyway, friends, happy new year. Good to be back with you and uh, looking forward to connecting more with you. I'll see you next time. My name is Trevor Muir and thanks for all you do to make learning transformative and epic for your students.